0: And welcome back to the New York Baseball Podcast. My name is Ari Weiss, and I am sitting alongside Noah Schneider. And Noah, what's up?
1: (laughs) I mean, it's another week, obviously, still still reeling from last week, game five, uh, Yankee loss, but, you know, it's been all right, getting better.
0: We have a very special guest on today, our first guest in a long time since quarantine started, since everyone's been so busy, the season's been going on. We were lucky enough to be able to get Tim Britton, the Mets beat reporter for the Athletic to join us today. Tim, how are you?
2: Pretty good, Ari. What's going on?
0: What's going on? So thanks so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. We know it wasn't the best season the Mets could have possibly had, but you know, uh, it's a crazy season, 60 games, and I'm sure they'll bounce back, but We wanted to ask you a few questions about the Mets 2020 season. And of course the off season with all the rumors about Steve Cohen and potential players that could be on the Mets. So my first question for you is what was your opinion about Luis Rojas during the 2020 Mets season? I know it was a small sample size, not a lot of um, like uh, games to take from, but just based on that small sample size, what was your opinion of his like management of the Mets this year?
2: Yeah. You know, I've, I've had people ask me like, how do I grade Luis Rojas on his 2020 season? And I think it's it's kind of like an incomplete. It's basically like you're at the progress report part of a semester, and that was his first season, and he had so much thrown at him. It was going to be a weird season for him, regardless, because he got the job in late January, uh, didn't have the full lead up into a normal season the way a manager usually does, uh, and then you throw in a pandemic, a shortened season, uh, you know, being apart from your team from basically mid March until the start of July. So I, I think you know when I look at it overall, I think the job of a manager breaks down into different components and what Rojas has. And I think it's one of the harder things for a manager to have is kind of the credibility in the clubhouse, which is something that look, it's harder for us as reporters to gauge that this season compared to other seasons, because we're not in there on a regular basis. Uh, But in conversations that I've had with players and, you know, this goes back to spring training, talking to them about Luis uh, you know, he has that familiarity with them from his time in the minor leagues. He had the respect from them at the start of the process, that's, that's a tough thing to earn. You come into a clubhouse. I've covered managers who've come into a clubhouse where players were initially skeptical of them and it's tough to win them over. Luis Rojas didn't have to do that. So I think that's a really important first step for him. When I look at, at how he managed this season, I think there are some positives and negatives. I thought going into the season, none of us really knew how he was going to handle uh, veteran players. Like, you know, was he going to bat Robinson Cano third? Was he going to do that despite Cano slumping at any point and opening day cano's down in the bottom part of the lineup and gets taken out for a defensive replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw someone who moved quickly like that and wasn't willing and was willing to put uh, established players on the bench for some periods of time was willing to move Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil down in the lineup when they struggled. I think that's a good sign going forward. You know, the, the team made fundamental mistakes too often And that reflects poorly on a coaching staff. It's also a season where you've had sporadic preparation. So I don't think you can crucify the Mets coaching staff because of those mistakes. I think there are in-game things that Rojas could do better moving forward. But I think that's more of a learnable area for a manager than some of the other stuff that he already has going for him. I think in general, it's, it's a positive season for him, even as the Mets themselves did not have the year they wanted.
0: For sure. And yeah, we know from past with Luis Rojas being the quality control coach, he's been like a players manager. The players love him. He gets respected um, through through the minor leagues. He's followed a lot of these players up, including me, Neil and Alonso. So that's a good point you make there, Tim. Noah, do you have any follow-up on that?
1: Yeah. So honestly, you mentioned like 2020, like, although you might say Rojas had a good season, it was a disappointment for the Mets. Obviously there were some expectations they'd make the playoffs or do well. So like what do you think is the biggest area of concern for the Mets? Like what do they have to improve the most so that they can make the playoffs in 2021?
2: Yeah. I mean, clearly it's a disappointing season. This was a team that was aiming to make a five team playoff field, thought they were going to do that. And they couldn't make an 18 playoff field. You know, they were over 502 out of 66 days this season. That's that's not what they wanted, obviously. Um, I think the the positive for the season they can take out is that their offense looked pretty good and looked sustainably good. Like, they didn't score as many runs as they should have because they were bad with runners in scoring position. But that's not something that you worried too much Carrying over year to year. I think run prevention is a major issue for this team. And I use that phrase instead of just pitching because it's pitching and defense. Uh, defense has been a, a Mets issue for a long period of time. They started to get, you know, it helps them more than some other teams that they have a designated hitter. And I think the presumption is that that will continue in 2021, which helps them, you know, fit some of their square pegs into a, the round hole of the lineup on a regular basis. Uh, but then the pitching staff, you know, even going into this season, when you had a healthy Noah Syndergaard and a healthy Marcus Stroman, you looked at those top three, you felt good about Steven Matz, and then you weren't sure beyond that. Uh, and then you lose Syndergaard for the season. Stroman doesn't throw a pitch for you all season. Matz regret had probably as disappointing year as anyone on the Mets, if not baseball this season, uh, And there's a whole host of question marks behind Jacob deGrom moving forward. And that's not just a 2020 issue. That's 2021 and beyond for the Mets is who's going to be Jacob deGrom's number two going forward. How do you fill out this rotation? David Peterson looked good for the Mets. That's one piece. Seth Lugo is still very much a question mark as a starter. Uh, So, you know, as you're planning your 2021 Mets and and beyond that, how do you want to fill out the rotation? That's a question they haven't had to answer really since like 2014. Uh, And so it's really interesting to see how they'll go about it this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, we look at the Mets on paper, the Mets on paper arguably have one of the best offenses in the game. I mean, you look at their lineup top to bottom, you got how, whichever way you roll the lineup, Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, Dom Smith, who had a surprise season, Cano who miraculously hit three hundred and thirty or something like that. I mean, there are so many good Mets players in that lineup. That's hard to believe that they didn't score as many runs as they did. But I think part of what uh, the Mets found unlucky for this season was during a sixty-game season, there's not a lot of time to get acclimated to like the the the, uh, the positioning, and there's not a lot of time to do your research for like the games and stuff. And the Mets got a lot of hits. They, have, I think, they had like the top average in all of baseball so many times, but the runners in scoring position was the average was one of the worst. And, and in a one sixty-two game season, I think those numbers even out a little more, and they might have had a better season if the g- season was longer.
2: Yeah, I mean, so much of baseball analysis is like trying to figure out what what you know. You look at the trends; it's like what matters and what doesn't. Uh, And, you know, we've looked at, I remember looking at Zach Wheeler in the past and looking at like when he would have mediocre first halves of the season. And you could say, you know, as this season goes on, these things are going to even out. You know, he was good with runner, with nobody on base, but terrible out of the stretch. You know, these things even out. And, I think runners in scoring position is one of those things. You know, the Mets, uh, I, I believe they led the, the majors in batting average all season. They were first or second in on base percentage, first or second in OPS plus, uh, and they were like seventh in the National League in runs. Uh, so they were basically an, a league average offensive team by runs and top of the league and everything else. And it's because of those runners in scoring position. There were things about their approach. Uh, they, they chased more in those spots. Uh, they were a little bit less disciplined. They struck out more. Uh, and, and you see that, for stretches of time, but there were also, you know, the first couple of weeks of September when they put those things together, they scored a lot more runs. They looked kind of like the offense that they should have been for a longer part of the season. And if you're, you're planning out, if there were, you know, 102 more games left in this season, I would have felt a lot more confident about those things evening out in 2020 than they, than they were able to in a shortened year.
0: I also yeah. wanted to add that it's pretty hard to believe with the start of the season that Pete Alonso got, he hit 16 home runs this season, which is pretty crazy. I mean, we all thought like his this season, which is like forgetful for Pete Alonso. he ended up top 10 in the league in home runs, which is like, it's just baffling to me how he's able to come back from like such a horrible start and then that many home runs. And that leads me to this question. Obviously the DH helps for the Mets because they have all those pieces that can hit, but what, what do you see, Dama Smith versus Pete Alonso, who gets first, who gets the DH role, or potentially trading away some of these players like Dama Smith? Um, what, what do you? What's your prediction for like how they manage Dama Smith the Pete Alonso?
2: Yeah, personally, I've been surprised by the number of comments I've seen, either on Twitter or on my stories, people willing to trade either of those guys, really, but especially Alonso uh, after... You know, I think you have to remember, this is not a full season we're yeah. talking about. This is 60 games. Uh, Alonzo, for the struggles that he went through earlier in the year, like you mentioned, finished with 16 home runs. I think he hit like four in the last four or five days of the year yeah. to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even when he has slumped, uh, he's bounced back from it. He did that a little bit in 2019 when he slumped after the All-Star break. Uh, and even when he slumps, he hits home runs, which yeah. is not a bad quality to have as a hitter. Uh, so I, I'm not, and, and this, this applies to other parts of the rush. Like, I'm not in a rush to trade. Pieces that look like they might be superfluous at the moment. You know, the same thing applies with Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Like, you know, you saw it in the way you looked at Alonzo and Smith after 2019. Like you would have said, why don't you trade Smith? You've got your first baseman of the future. You've got JD Davis in left field. You're set. You don't need Dominic Smith. Uh, and then you saw the, the role he played for them in 2020. And that's without, you know, guys getting hurt. You Guys get hurt all the time. You might need to move guys around. So especially with a designated hitter, I don't know exactly how I'd break down the playing time between Alonzo and Smith. But I think having both of those guys on your roster, especially because they're, they're making less than a million dollars, they're before arbitration, is a really good thing for the Mets to have moving forward. Uh, and whether that's, you know, a 50-50 split, whether it's playing... Smith more often at first base, and then giving uh, him occasional starts in left field, things like that. Uh, I, I think that's a good problem for the Mets to have on their hands.
0: And before we move on, I just wanted to add that Yonah Cespedes opting out might have been the best thing that happened to the Mets all year. Because if he didn't opt out, how much Dom Smith would we have been able to see? What do you think, Tim? If, if uh, Cespedes had not opted out, do you think he would have been the starting left fielder?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting to think about how, how differently the season could have gone. And really the last two years, like I think about Jed Lowry and and people uh, will point out like, this mm-hmm. is the worst signing the Mets have ever made. And and part of me thinks like it could have been worse if Jed Lowry were like a bad player capable of playing, Yeah. you know, if Jed Lowry were like a one win player over the course of those two seasons, that might've been a worse turnout for the Mets because it would have prevented them from seeing more of Jeff McNeil, more of JD Davis, more of Dominic Smith, uh, and the same thing with Cespedes this year. Clearly, the Mets didn't expect that to happen uh, at the beginning of August. So much of their high ceiling was like, oh, we, you know, Cespedes could be something big for, for them this year. Uh, but him opting out did open up that space for not only Smith to play on a regular basis, but for Cano to get some DH reps uh, to probably save his legs as the season went on and to kind of keep guys fresher over the course of a 60-game season.
0: So I find it uh, fitting for me to turn this over to Noah for this for this portion of the podcast since we are now going to talk about Steve Cohen and all the money he has to buy players. Noah's obviously used to that with the big market, Bronx Bombers, New York Yankees. So Noah, shoot should with your questions about the Mets offseason.
1: Yeah, so Tim, I, I know we've heard a lot of rumors about the Mets signing Bauer, uh, JT Realmuto. R just told me, DJ LeMahieu, even though I personally think the Yankees, that's someone they have to keep. So I have a two-part question for you. So Tim, like, If you could have one player, like who do you think the Mets would benefit from the most? And the second part is who do you think they'll actually like get in this offseason? Do you see them making like a big splash as a lot of people are predicting?
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting because I think the three guys you put at the top of, the, the free agent pecking order this year are probably in some order rio muto bauer and george springer and they all fit needs for the mets the mets need right-handed power in the middle of the lineup real muto and springer fit that springer could play center field for them where they've had a, a void for a while they could use a catcher in real muto and they could use a top of the top of the line starter like bauer uh n- next to jacob de like we talked about uh so I, I think you see pros to each there are cons to each as well you know they're all getting into their 30s those are not the types of players you want to sign to six and seven and eight year deals like they might require um you know i've been doing some research on like how catchers age into their 30s based off of Riel muto uh and i think it's a little surprising when you look at that that it's easy to think that oh catchers at 33 34 35 they fall off a cliff it's really not that different from starting pitchers you know, there's very few guys who stay in center field past the age of basically 32. So I think if you sign Springer, you run into where does he fit? I mean, he might fit for a year or two. Where does he fit beyond that? Uh, I, I really don't know what Bauer's looking for in free agency because he's talked so much about getting maximizing his value with one year deals. That's easier to say when you're not coming off a potential Cy Young season. That might, you yeah. know, he, timed the, he timed his best season well, so maybe he wants to cash in on that. Uh, so I, I think Real Muto probably makes the most sense. I'm not sold on that. But I think as a guy who, who makes an impact as a two-way player, and the Mets haven't had really good two-way players in a while, uh, with his bat and with his glove, uh, fits the middle of the order as a right-handed hitter, uh, comes in, has a pretty good pedigree as a leader, uh, and you know, is a little bit younger than someone like Springer. So even if he, he might not be the elite middle of the lineup hitter that Springer will be for the next several years, but you won't expect him to fall off quite the same way. And he he'll stay at catcher longer than Springer will stay in center. So I think he's probably the guy I look at as the biggest, biggest potential over the next best option at catcher. You know, I think Bauer's really good as a pitcher, obviously, but there are other options including Marcus Stroman right behind him in that hierarchy. So I'd probably go with Rio Muto, but I'll be honest. I've, I've, Usually by this time I have like a whole blueprint of how I think the Mets' offseason should go, and I've I've gone back and forth on it so far. I'm not exactly sure how how I think they should approach things.
0: For sure, and uh, no, you're not going to want to hear this, but what do you think about DJ LeMahieu, Tim? I know he's a free agent. Um, Yankee fans are going to be go ballistic if they don't get him back. But what do you think the odds are the Mets actually do sign a guy like DJ?
2: No, I, I think. That talk, that speaks to kind of where are their priorities defensively? Because if you sign Lemayhu, that's basically, you probably stick him at third base. Uh, that means you've got Jeff McNeil back in the outfield and Nimmo in center field. They've wanted to find a center fielder for a while. There are options beyond George Springer, like uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., maybe doing a platoon with Jake Marisnik, that kind of thing in center field. Uh, if they're willing to stick with Nimmo in center field, then third base makes sense as a place to try to upgrade. My guess is that, the Yankees, the Yankees like LeMahieu enough, yeah. uh, and the Yankees don't like getting outbid by the Mets enough to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Mets decided they wanted to up that bidding, to, to create a little bidding war to make it more costly on the Yankees' pockets uh, moving forward. You know, that's an interesting decision for them to make too with with Torres and, and LeMahieu and what second versus short for those two guys. Uh, so there's a lot of fun roster construction dilemmas in new york for both teams
0: for sure and i just wanted to add um with trevor bauer and all of his tweets on twitter i never know what to expect from him i just see him tweeting so much about oh it looks like the chicago white Sox need some pitching it looks like the daughters <laughs> need some pitching it's just so funny how he's so vocal about everything and he's literally in a in like a an a signing, and he's, he's literally gonna sign with a team soon and i just kind of mm-hmm. find it funny how like the fans literally might directly influence him on where he signs. He might not want to admit it, but he tweets so much about just like, oh, it looks like this team needs pitching. I wonder if they'll take me, which um, is so much of that. Uh, Noah, do you have anything else about uh, the offseason and where the Mets will go in the future? Steve no, I,
1: I think, in my opinion, I think Bauer will be the best signing. I think this year, like, their offense was really good. They just, they hit, they could not hit with the runners in scoring position, which I've seen a lot with the Yankees recently, especially in the playoffs. They struggle with that. I think, yeah, over at 162, it evens out. Also, I also think the Mets, I thought they were close this year. I thought there were a couple games they blew, like the 7-2 game to the Yankees, the Braves, I think it was like 10-6 they blew. They weren't that far off. I think Bauer, I think the rotation, obviously with all the injuries and Stroman opting out, I think obviously next year, hopefully the rotation is better, but I think Bauer definitely adds a lot. I think he also would energize the team. Obviously he, he loves tweeting and talking and always chirping. So I think... I think Bauer would be the best way to go. And the other thing, I think DJ 100% coming back to the Yankees. That's the one player, the fans love him. I mean, one of the best players, won the batting uh, title this year. I think very small chance DJ, the Yankees
0: don't resign him. Right. And Tim, what do you think? What's your prediction? I know like Steve Cohen has all this money. Like, I think like the Metro now, the most expensive team and like sports team in all of America. I saw something stat like that. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but I saw something like that. How much money do you think he spends on the Mets? Because just because we have Steve Cohen doesn't mean it's going to throw all of his money right like towards the Mets. He's still a businessman. He still likes to have his profits. How much money do you think he's actually going to be willing to spend this off season?
2: Yeah, first of all, I think it's the highest sale price for a Major League Baseball franchise. I know, I know, I know. Uh, yes. Actually, it might be the highest in, in in all of sports. I'm not sure what the the highest in the NBA and NFL have been. I <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the big that's the million dollar question, quote unquote, with with Cohen uh, is. What approach does he take? You know, he's been a notoriously pretty private guy uh, as a hedge fund manager. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly what his motivation is as Mets owner. Is it to make a lot of money? Is it to put his money in an area where taxes can't get it? Uh, or is it to win a World Series? Is it some, some combination of all three of those? Uh, you know, as a guy who was born and raised a Mets fan, I think the fan base certainly hopes it's to win with the Mets. Uh, And we've seen, for instance, you know, you look at the Dodgers when they switched ownership from 2011 to 2012, uh, and the Guggenheim partners came in, uh, the way that that franchise switched operations and became kind of a first-class organization and how they do things, that's certainly what your your goal is as a Mets fan, is that that's what they do. That's what Steve Cohen does. He puts money not only into the payroll, he puts it into infrastructure. We've seen some positive signs in that regard. Uh, I know the New York Post reporting, uh, I think today, that uh, you know, he's going to pay some of the city field workers who didn't get to, to work, uh, the vendors at the stadium, uh, without fans there that, you know, he's, he's reinstating full pay for a lot of the executives. That's been one issue with the Mets in the past is they haven't paid their baseball operations people as much as some other teams. They've lost some good talent in their, their organization to other teams. So you hope that he puts, puts his money where his mouth is there. Uh, and then, you know, they, they're, set up pretty flexibly for the off season, even in a pandemic year uh, with, with some of the contracts coming off the books. So I think it's, it'll be really interesting to see how much he wants to put in right away, especially because so many other teams aren't going to be willing to do that this year in particular. And if he decides to really push that advantage or if he holds back a little bit, because he can.
0: Tim, there are games on right now. We know you want to watch them, so we're not going to kid you any longer. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. We truly appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem. This is fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Take care now.
2: (laughs) You too. Bye.